You're listening to Arc Radio Podcast. This program is brought to you by the Islamic Studies Trust. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Wa sallallahu wa sallam wa baraka ala Sayyidina wa Mawlana Muhammadin wa alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. We praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Lord of the heavens and the earth, and we ask him to send his peace and blessings upon our master Sayyidina Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, upon his blessed family, his loyal companions, and all of those who followed after with excellence up until the day of standing. Amina, amina, amin. Thereafter, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam's companions uh, knew of his love and affection for his blessed daughters. And they also uh, knew of, uh, of, of the rank of the blessed household of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in the sight of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala and in the heart of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. A beautiful surah of the Quran Al-Kareem, uh, perhaps one of my most favorite surahs in the Quran is Surah Al-Ahzab. Surah Al-Ahzab, uh, you should all really uh, uh, try to read its translation and understand this surah because it speaks about the Prophet وسلم, speaks about his wives, speaks about his children, uh, speaks about um, the Ahlul Bayt, the family of the Prophet وسلم, speaks about the companions and it has the most, uh, uh, it has the famous verse um, in it in which Allah says Inna Allah wa malaikatahu yusalluna ala nabi Indeed Allah and his angels send uh, peace and blessings upon the Prophet وسلم, Oh you believe send peace and blessings upon him sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Is also in Surah Al-Ahzab uh, One of the most beautiful verses of Surah Al-Ahzab is uh, A verse in which Allah says إِنَّمَا يُرِيدُ اللَّهُ لِيُذْهِبَ عَنْكُمُ الرِّجِئْسَ أَهْلَ الْبَيْتِ وَيُطَهِرَكُمْ تَطْهِيرًا Indeed, Allah intends to purify you, O family of the Messenger of Allah, O the household, um, from all indecencies and impurities, وَيُطَهِرَكُمْ تَطْهِيرًا And He intends to uh, purify you in absolute purification. when this verse was revealed, the Prophet وسلم, called for uh, Sayyidah Fatima, Sayyidina Ali, Sayyidina Hassan and Hussein radiallahu anhum and he placed a cloak over them and he said, Allahumma inna haula ahla bayti. Oh Allah, these are the members of my household, i.e. Uh, who are being referred to in this verse. And he was in the house of Umm Salama radiallahu anha where this verse was revealed and uh, Umm Salama spoke up from behind a veil and said, what about me messenger of Allah? And the Prophet وسلم, said, anti ila khair and you are towards goodness also. Um, so the the companions knew uh, that the blessed house of the uh, household of the Prophet وسلم, has a very great regard in the sight of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, and um, drawing close to the blessed household would uh, would would obviously mean that this is a, a a channel and a means to draw close to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So Sayyidina Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiyallahu anhu came and he asked for Sayyida Fatima radiyallahu anha in marriage, and he wasn't granted. And Sayyidina Umar radiyallahu anhu came and he also asked for Sayyida Fatima in marriage and he wasn't granted. And then somebody said to Sayyidina Ali radiyallahu anhu, "You should go and ask for Sayyida Fatima in marriage, and you will be granted." But as, um, as a young man who didn't have much, he said, but I don't have anything to marry with, right? Because um, he, 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 he literally didn't have much at all. Uh, but he was pressed on and pushed to go and ask the Prophet So he builds up courage in his heart, right? And um, 
he goes to the house of the Prophet And remember, he was the Prophet beloved cousin. And he grew up in the house of the Prophet So the Prophet knew uh, every move of Ali He knew how he thought. Uh, so he comes to the house of the Prophet and he sits down. And uh, he, Sayyidina Ali radiallahu anhu, he said, he said, the awe of the Messenger of Allah just struck me. And uh, his presence overwhelmed me such that I couldn't say a single word. And this was the state of the companions with the Prophet sallallahu uh, Sayyidina Amr ibn al-As radiallahu anhu, he said, uh, one of his students, Abdul Rahman ibn Shumasa radiallahu anhu, said that when Amr ibn al-As radiallahu anhu was on his deathbed, he began to cry. And he cried profusely, so much so that his son had pity on him and he said to him, Ya abata, ama basharaka Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam bikaza wa kaza. Oh dear father, didn't the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa give you glad tidings of such and such and such and such, i.e. of Jannah? And his father um, cried so much that he turned away his face from the people and he faced the wall and he continued in his cry. So his son really had pity on him and he said, Father, let me know why are you crying for so much? And he said, he said, my life, I, I, I think of my life in three phases. <clears throat> and when I think of those phases of life, it makes me cry. And especially the, the, the first, he said, the first phase of my life was when I was totally against the Prophet ﷺ and he was the most um, disliked person to my heart. And had I had the opportunity of assassinating him, I would have done so. <clears throat> he said, I think of that phase of life and I think, what if I had the opportunity of doing and executing everything I wanted to? I would have been a destroyed person. I think of those thoughts that would go through my mind and it just makes me cry. Uh, then he said, Allah softened my heart for Islam. So I came to the Prophet ﷺ and I said, Messenger of Allah, extend your hand so I can accept Islam. The Prophet ﷺ extended his hand as he would do for everybody coming to him. And Amr ibn al said, I, I retracted. And the Prophet said to me, Malaka ya Amr, what's wrong, O Amr? You asked me to extend and now you're retracting. And Sayyidina Amr said, I remembered all of those thoughts and that dislike and hatred that I had in my heart. And I felt that that, will never be, that would never be forgiven. So I said, Messenger of Allah, I will only accept Islam on one condition, and that is, if all of my previous sins are forgiven. And what sins was he thinking about? All of the dislike and hatred that he had for the Prophet ﷺ. And the Prophet ﷺ said to him, أَمَا تَعْلَمُوا أَنَّ الْإِسْلَامَ يَجُبُّ مَا قَبْلَهُ وَالْهِجْرَةُ تَجُبُّ مَا قَبْلَهَا وَالْحَجُّ يَجُبُّ مَا قَبْلَهُ Don't you know that Islam... Uh, expiates and purifies all of that which went before and hijrah migrating for the sake of Allah purifies a person of all of that which went before and performing a hajj purifies a person from all of that which they committed before he said only when I heard that I extended my hand and I accepted Islam and then he said he said from the day that I accepted Islam Till the, till the departure of the Prophet ﷺ from this world, he said, I was never able to raise my eyes and look and gaze upon his noble face a single time. 
He said, I was never able to raise my eyes and look into the face of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam because of the majesty and awe that Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala had enveloped him in. And because of the reverence <coughs> and honor that the hearts of the companions uh, uh, pumped with for the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. You know, when they would sit in his presence, it was as if birds were sitting on their heads. They wouldn't twitch. They wouldn't move. You know, they, would, they wouldn't breathe aloud. This is how their relationship with the Messenger of Allah was. And you know, Sayyidina Ali, you can imagine how his relationship was when, whilst he was described to be the most knowledgeable of, of the companions. The Prophet said, Ana Madinatul ilmi wa aliyun babuha. I'm the city of knowledge and Ali is its door. And Sayyidina Ali radiallahu anh said, if I were to uh, explain Surah Al-Fatiha, just Surah Al-Fatiha, it would take 70 camel loads to carry. If somebody wrote it, it would take 70 camel loads to carry. فَمَا ظَنُّكَ بِعُلُومِ سَيِّدِنَا مُحَمَّدٍ صلى الله عليه وسلم. If that's my, the extent of my knowledge, then what, what do you assume of the knowledge of the Prophet Right. So Sayyidina Ali radiallahu anh builds up courage and he comes to the house of the Prophet and he's so overwhelmed by the presence of the Messenger of Allah and his majesty that he just, he said, I couldn't speak. I, I couldn't breathe aloud. I, I just sat in my place. I froze. He said, the Prophet said to me, what's brought you today, O uh, Ali? I said, no, nothing, Messenger of Allah. I've just come to visit. And... Uh, the Prophet ﷺ said to him, perhaps you've come to ask for the hand of Fatima in marriage. And he said, yes, Messenger of Allah. And the Prophet ﷺ said to him, what do you have to offer her? He said, nothing, Messenger of Allah. And the Prophet ﷺ said to him, what about <coughs> the armor that I gave you, the war armor, the war suit that I gave you, where's that? And he said, Messenger of Allah, I still have that. And the Prophet ﷺ said to him, bring that and I will marry you to Fatima. Bring that and I will marry you to Fatima. Now, uh, Sayyidina Ali radiallahu anh didn't have any material of this world to present. right? And the Prophet reminded him of something that he had that he should bring forth. So what was it that the Prophet ﷺ was expecting in a son-in-law, wanted to see in a son-in-law that he saw in Sayyidina Ali that he married him to Sayyidina Fatima? When the Prophet ﷺ informed Sayyidah Fatima radiallahu anha that he was going to marry her to Sayyidina Ali, she, she, she had tears in her eyes of mixed emotions. Uh, so the Prophet ﷺ said to her, Ma tabkeen, why are you crying for? What brings tears to your eyes? Don't you know that the one that I have chosen for you is A'lamuhum wa ahlamuhum wa awwaluhum silma? The Prophet ﷺ described three qualities in Sayyidina Ali as to why he chose Sayyidina Ali to be a son-in-law for him and the husband of his most beloved daughter. He said, don't you know that I have chosen the most knowledgeable of my companions for you, the most gentlest, softest and most forbearant of my companions for you and the first of them in Islam for you. These three qualities, right? And the Sahaba radiallahu anhum used to say that if there is a, a mu'dila, a mu'dila is a, 
a really tangled up uh, situation, uh, a, a case that's really tangled up and nobody can work out its ends. Uh, if there is a mu'dila that Ali can't solve, then nobody can solve it. Right? Nobody can solve it. Because he was their last point of reference when they couldn't solve situations, they would take it to Sayyidina Ali radiallahu anh. And if he was, if he, and you know, he'd be the last person that they would expect uh, a solution from. And if he wasn't able to, uh, to bring a solution for it, they wouldn't take it to anybody else after him, right? So what was it that the Prophet sallallahu was searching for in his son-in-law? Was it wealth? Was it material of the world? Uh, was it uh, lavish homes, cars? All the rest of what people are, you know, um, lost in, in the world that we live in. This is the messenger of Allah. This is the Prophet of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He could have asked for anything for his, for his daughter. And the people would have presented it just to marry his daughter. But he gave his daughter to a man who didn't have much material of the world. But when it came to knowledge, there was nobody parallel to him. When it came to forbearance, there was nobody who could match him. And, when it, and he was the first of them in accepting Islam. In, 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 uh, in committing to the Prophet وسلم, he was the first of people. So uh, the Prophet وسلم, conducted the nikah of Sayyidah Fatima radiallahu anha with Sayyidina Ali radiallahu an, and um, uh, he sent them to, 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 their, to their home and he told them to not to uh, uh, not to uh, he sent them to their home and he asked them to wait for him وسلم, once they reached their home. And then the Prophet came to their home and he performed ablution and he performed wudu. And the leftover water of his wudu, he sprinkled it on both of them and he, he prayed for them and he said, Oh Allah, place blessings above them, within them and place blessings within their children. Right? And the Sahaba عنهم, described... Uh, the, the wedding of Sayyidah Fatima and Sayyidina Ali radiallahu anhuma and um, they said it was the it was the finest wedding that we ever attended right now what's the finest wedding in in our definition <laughs> right just imagine the finest wedding that we define to be the finest and this is something very important that we need to understand and one of the reasons is that marriages are breaking up and you know the percentage of divorce uh, in our community and in all communities is sky high compared to the uh, percentage of marriages uh, and and there, there's there's an underlying problem that needs to be highlighted and needs to be uh, uh, recognized so it can be solved um, so how is it that we would define the most perfect and the most finest of marriages and how is it that the companions of the Prophet وسلم, uh, described the marriage of Sayyidah Fatima with Sayyidina Ali to be the finest wedding that they ever attended right and uh, uh, one of the companions he said that we attended the marriage of Sayyidah Fatima and Sayyidina Ali one of the companions brought forth uh, a sheep that was slaughtered, one sheep that was slaughtered for all of the companions of the Prophet And there was dates, uh, raisins, and milk that was distributed. And that's it. Dates, raisins, and milk, and some meat, 
uh, that people ate, and that was it. And that was described to be the, most, the finest uh, of weddings and walimas that they ever attended. Why? Because uh, a walima is supposed to be the beginning of a blessed time between the two spouses. It's not supposed to be a time where uh, everything of the world is exhausted to, to bring glamour and, and light on that day and have no barakah and have no blessings in the rest of a person's life, right? You know, the amount of wastage that goes on uh, in, in walimas nowadays uh, is, you just think about the amount of food that's literally thrown into the bins because there's too much food that's been ordered. Uh, see, what we need to understand is that marriage is a, is a sacred uh, contract. And that sacred contract cannot be based upon all of these uh, uh, corrupt premises. There has to be blessings in it right from the moment go. And this is what we see. The Prophet ﷺ, he could have wanted the most lavish of weddings for his daughter, but he didn't. Look at the simplicity of the life of Sayyida Fatima عنها, with Sayyidina Ali right from the beginning, from the marriage, from the day of her marriage. And then Sayyidina Ali radiallahu an said that what was Sayyida Fatima gifted by her father sallallahu alayhi wasallam on her marriage? How much gold was she given? How much silver was she given? How many camels was she given? How many homes was she given? It was nothing like that. He said, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam gave Sayyida Fatima uh, a mattress that was filled with palm tree leaves and a pillow that was filled with palm tree leaves and a jug and that's about it right and that's about it she she was given a jug a mattress a pillow and that's it and that that sufficed and that was the finest wedding ever in absolute simplicity right you see, you see what we have to understand is the Prophet ﷺ is the benchmark of our lives. He's the one uh, who we decide our lives by his life and the life of his noble family and those who are around him. And when we do that, we see marriages uh, in harmony and in beauty and in love uh, traveling together towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the afterlife. Whereas when we see uh, so much wastage, and so much money being spent when it's not necessary and so and 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 money that people don't even have and it's all on credit seriously and people spend the amount of wealth that they spend and all on credit that they end up in debt not only them it's probably their even their children end, end up in the debts of, of of their marriage right and what goodness will those marriages bring that start up uh, from uh, based upon debt and showing off and uh, you know, letting people know that we're going to have a better marriage, a wedding than yours and so on and so forth. It just removes all of the sacredness of marriage. And that's what we need to understand from the blessed life of Sayyida Fatima uh, radiallahu anha. Then uh, the scholars of Hadith have mentioned that after Sayyidina Ali and Sayyida Fatima radiallahu anhuma were married, the Prophet 
would walk past their house every morning at a particular time. Anybody know when? At Fajr time. What would he say? He would walk past their house and he would announce and say, As-salata ya ala bayti Rasulillah. Prayer, O family of the Messenger of Allah. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Prayer, O family of the Messenger of Allah. He, he did that for six months from the time that Sayyidah Fatima radiallahu anha was married. Why? To, to encourage and not to give up on his blessed family in encouraging them to stand and worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and stand in prayer. And I often say, if the family of the Prophet sallallahu was an excuse from prayer and they are the royal family of Islam, then why are our families or the family of anybody else exempt from prayer? And if the Prophet sallallahu uh, did not give up on uh, announcing to his family that it's prayer time, then why is it that we brush by the time of prayer and don't let anybody know it's prayer time? I remember when I was teaching in, uh, in a madrasa, I asked uh, some children if they pray at home and they said, no. I said, why? They said, because we never know when it's prayer time. What does that indicate? They said, we, we never know when it's prayer time. This is why we don't pray. I, that means that there's nobody praying in the house for the kids to see, okay, somebody's just got up from watching television and put the mat down and stood up in prayer. Okay, somebody's, uh, you know, got off their computer, got off doing whatever they were doing and now stood up and prayed, are praying, right? It's very important that we, we, you know, we pray in our homes, but we also let people know it's prayer time, right? And one of the things that one of our teachers, he said is, is very important that people should say the azan in their homes. People should say the azan in their homes. One of our teachers, he said that uh, one of the reasons why a lot of physical illnesses are increasing in the West in comparison to the Muslim world is because people don't hear the azan. People don't hear the Azan. Whereas if you're in a Muslim country, whether you want to hear the Azan or not, when it's prayer time, you're going to hear it. And you're going to hear it from so many different directions, right? And this teacher said, he said, just hearing the Azan protects people from physical and spiritual illnesses. Right? And the scholars have said that the Azan is not only said for prayer. Uh, Imam Shurmbulali mentions in Nurul Idah that Azan is not only said for prayer, it's also said at times when, when you're frightened, when you're scared, right? People should stand up and say the Azan because it removes fear. Likewise, Azan is said in, in, in the air of a baby child, right? Um, and it's said at times, the Prophet used to ask Sayyidina Bilal to say the Azan at times when he wanted to announce matters to his companions, right? So the scholars have said that people should say the Azan in their homes every single day. If it's not for every prayer, at least once. Even if it's not for a prayer, just to say the Azan in the home so that uh, people are connected onto prayer through the call of prayer. Is that clear? Uh, so the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he was instructed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Qur'an. Allah said, وَأْمُرْ أَهْلَكَ بِالصَّلَاةِ وَاسْطَبِرْ عَلَيْهَا Allah said, instruct your family to pray and be persistent upon that. Don't give up, right? 
If they're not praying, I mean, of course, the family of the Prophet ﷺ, they stood and prayed. They were, they were Sayyidul Abideen. They were, they were the leaders of the people who worshipped Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But this is a, a, a counsel and advice for the rest of us. That, and the Prophet ﷺ said, don't make your homes into graveyards. How are homes made into graveyards? What, what doesn't happen in a graveyard? What doesn't happen in a graveyard is that all of these rows... All of these rows of people who are lying down don't stand up to pray, right? Their rows are straight, but they don't stand to pray, right? The Prophet said, don't make your homes into graveyards where the adhan is not said, where the prayer is not established. This is why he وسلم, used to pray his sunnah prayers where? At home. He used to pray his fard in the masjid and go home and pray his sunnah. So to uh, um, make his home into a place of worship. That those who come into his home know that it's a home of worship. You know, the Prophet ﷺ used to walk in the streets of Medina at night um, to, to check on the welfare of the people of Medina. And he used to say, ﷺ, of course, there was no lamps street lamps in, in, in Medina and they didn't have torches and you wouldn't really walk around with a candle in the streets, would you? Uh, so there was no lamps in the street of Medina except the noble face of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He would say Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, I can recognize the houses of the Ash'ariyeen. There was a particular tribe in Medina known as Al-Ash'ariyoon. He said, I can recognize the houses of the Ash'ariyeen in Medina uh, by hearing recitation of the Qur'an from their homes at night. So what would the Sahaba do at night when they would sit around? They wouldn't sit around on their couches and put on the television. They would sit around and open up the Qur'an. Right? They would recite the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? They would engage in the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's something that needs to be revived in homes is that we reconnect onto the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in its recitation, in its understanding uh, and uh, in, in unwrapping its secrets and what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us of a treasure. So Sayyida Fatima radiallahu anha's marriage with Sayyidina Ali radiallahu an, it was the most simplest of marriages but the most finest, right? And... Um, enveloped in beauty and dignity and honor. <clears throat> Sayyida Fatima radiallahu anha was a great worshipper of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Imam al-Ghazali radiallahu anha mentions in the Ihya that uh, she would stand for, for long periods of time at night worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the depth of the night. And you know she was a very young lady. She married at the age of around 16 and uh, she, she passed away around the age of, uh, uh, at a very young tender age that she left this world, radiallahu anha, about 28. And she would stand at night for long periods of time. And Imam al-Ghazali mentions that uh, when, when dawn would break, Sayyida Fatima would start to blame dawn and say, why did you disturb my relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Why did you turn up? Because the night is the time when the lovers want to be all alone with the beloved, right? And the worshippers of Allah want to be all alone with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When people fall asleep, they stand up. Now, the question is that, how is it that from a very young age, she had this relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? 
because this is what she saw in her father sallallahu alayhi wasallam Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala instructed him and said qumil layla illa qalila stand at night but a little nisfahu aw inqus minhu qalila half of the night or even less than that right and the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam would stand at night until his blessed feet would become numb and he would cry for this ummah and that's what his blessed daughter sayyida fatima radiyallahu anha picked up from his noble character was to stand at night and worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the depths of the night. So <clears throat> this is what Sayyidah Fatima radiallahu anha would do in the evenings and during the day she would engage in, 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 in the normal chores uh, of life and the normal chores uh, of the home so much so that <clears throat> she had blisters on her blessed hands from, from, from the chores that she would do at home and um, the, 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 because life was quite rough at that time uh, and um, the, the, the mechanisms that they would have to use to, to produce food and, and so on were, were difficult mechanisms to use and she had blisters on her hands and Sayyidina Ali radiallahu anh, would walk for, for long periods to bring water to the home and they would both be really shattered from, from the chores of life. Uh, one day there was uh, war booty that came to the Prophet and amongst them were, were captive slaves. So Sayyid, Sayyidina Ali said to Sayyida Fatima anha, why don't you go to your father and ask him for a slave who can help us out in, in, you know, in the chores of the home. So she went to the Prophet and she said, I was too shy to ask him, so I came back. She didn't ask her father. Why? Because she knew that the hardship that her father was living through, how could she go and ask for a slave? She came back to Sayyidina Ali and said, I couldn't ask him. So Sayyidina Ali said, I'll come with you too now. So they both went. And they asked the Prophet And the Prophet said to them, I'm not going to leave the companions of a Sufa, you know the companions of Sufa were those who sat in the masjid day and night and studied with the Prophet They didn't have homes and they didn't have families. They were resident students at the masjid of the Prophet and that was their hostel too. So they studied and uh, resided at the masjid of the Prophet known as Ahlul Sufa. Some said that there were about 70 of them. The Prophet said to Sayyidah Fatima I'm not going to leave my companions, the people of Ahlul Sufa, uh, with their stomachs cringing from hunger and give you a slave. I'm not going to do that. Well, what do we see there? That the Prophet was not, would never give favoritism to his family over his companions and those who are really in need. And in general, what, what, what would you find the sentiments of a parent to be if a child came in such need? They would want to give that child anything and everything that they possessed. But look at the balanced mind of the Prophet ﷺ and how he was nurturing Sayyida Fatima upon that balance. He said, I'm not going to leave these people who have sacrificed so much for this religion and they sit here day and night and this is where their abodes are when their stomachs cringe from hunger. They, they used to starve. Sayyidina Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu, he said, 
you know, the one who narrated the most hadith from the Prophet ﷺ, over 5,000 hadith he narrated from the Prophet ﷺ. He said that at times, I would slam my body uh, in the masjid. I would just throw myself down on the ground and slam myself onto the ground. And people would walk past, would walk past and say, Innahu majnoon, he's mad. And he said, I, I swear by Allah, there was no madness in me. It was just hunger. That's how the Sahaba radiallahu anhum uh, went. Th th that's the type of situations that they lived through to deliver this religion. He said, it was just hunger. So the Prophet ﷺ was not going to overlook that in his companions and give Sayyidah Fatima. But then he gave something to Sayyidah Fatima radiallahu anha. What did he say? He said to both of them, he said, if you say subhanallah 33 times, Alhamdulillah 33 times and Allahu Akbar 34 times before you sleep every single night, Allah will suffice you for that slave that you're asking for. <coughs> the scholars have said that, do you see how the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam directed his blessed family towards reliance upon Allah, remembrance of Allah, asking from Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala than from being given of material of the world. And how the Prophet ﷺ encouraged them to use um, uh, these means of remembrance unto Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be uh, uh, sufficient for them over matters of the world. To be sufficient for them over matters of the world. And we see that, for example, in Ramadan. How is it that we don't eat in Ramadan all day long? You know, these Ramadans were quite long, weren't they? How long did you guys fast for? 20 hours. How did you manage that? Seriously, at lunchtime you wouldn't eat? Seriously, you'd see your friends and colleagues at work having a cup of tea and a cup of coffee and going for a lunch break and you just sit there at the computer and put your mat down and pray your zuhur and think, okay, what's for start tonight? How, how is it possible? Do you know how it's possible? How is it possible to go through hunger of 20 hours and you're all fine about it? You're relaxed about it. You're not worried. You're not agitated that others are eating. You're not eating, right? How do you get through those 20 hours? You get through those 20 hours because you're in a state of worship. That intention that you made at suhoor time that you're fasting for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala converted this day of hunger into a day of worship and that worship suffice you, suffices you from food and drink all day long. It's that worship that suffices you. This is what the Prophet ﷺ was uh, implanting into his blessed daughter is that if you remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah's remembrance will suffice you from matters of the world that others have. Will suffice you. You know, like uh, the Prophet ﷺ said, when you board an animal, and uh, uh, you board a beast to, to ride on a journey, make mention of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Make zikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Why? Number one, it will make your journey quicker and it will make the burden for this animal that you're riding easier and lesser. Right? So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa constantly encouraged Sayyidah Fatima radiallahu anha to engage in worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and not to worry about uh, having slaves and having servants and having uh, material of the world when you have Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala 
on your side. Uh, so the life that uh, Sayyida Fatima radiallahu anha uh, lived with Sayyidina Ali was a very simple life and it was encouraged by the life of the Prophet Another occasion when, uh, uh, which is very important, one day the Prophet came into his home and he saw one of his two grandchildren uh, eating a date. And he immediately went over to the child and took out the date from his mouth. Now our teacher Sheikh Samir, he said, if it was anybody else, they'd think, this child is eating this date, perhaps the child's hungry. And you'd say, never mind, let the child eat it. And especially in the house of the Prophet and in those times when uh, the Prophet's home didn't really have much food. You know, three months would pass and they would never kindle a fire in their homes to, to, to cook any food. Three months would pass. So in a situation like that, a normal person would think, never mind, let the child eat it. Obviously, the child's picked it up because the child's feeling hungry. He said, but the Prophet ﷺ went immediately over to the child and took the date out of his mouth and said, Innaha zakat. This is from the wealth of zakat. And we, the family of the Prophet ﷺ, are not allowed to take from zakat. Right? So, Sheikh Zamr said, what was the Prophet ﷺ encouraging his family? He was encouraging his family to, to, to follow in the laws that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had laid for them. And he wasn't going with norm, the normal emotions of a grandparent and saying, never mind, let the child take it. Right? And uh, the Shaykh said something very important here. And he said, at times perhaps we might see our children or our grandchildren engaging in that which is unlawful. Right? We might see them engaging in that which is unlawful. But it brings, let's say, wealth, it brings ease and luxury to them. So those parents and grandparents might say, oh, never mind. Let it be. He said, but the Prophet ﷺ wasn't like that. If he saw something unlawful, he would stop it immediately, even if it was in the midst of his own home, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. You know, Sayyidina Usama ibn Zayd radiallahu an, he was very close to the Prophet ﷺ. Uh, he was the son of Zayd ibn Haritha. And amongst the companions, he was known as Hibbu Rasulillahi wa ibn Hibbihi. The, the beloved of the Messenger of Allah and the son of the beloved of the Messenger of Allah. Anyway, a case came to the Prophet where the Prophet gave a judgment in that case. And the, the people who were the case, uh, the judgment was against, they, weren't, they wanted a different judgment to be given. So they went around and they came to Sayyidina Usama and said, can you intercede uh, with the Messenger of Allah and ask him to perhaps you know, give us some leniency and stuff? Sayyidina Usama came to the Prophet and said, Messenger of Allah, the family have spoke to me and they want you to reconsider. The Prophet said to Sayyidina Usama, Afi haddim min hududillah? Are you asking me to reconsider in, 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 in a limit that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed and changed the law of Allah? Sayyidina Usama went silent. Even though he was so beloved to the Prophet but when it came to matters of law, the Prophet وسلم, uh, uh, he, he abided by the law in his family before anybody else. Right? So uh, Sayyida Fatima radiallahu anha, she had to live uh, 
a, a life of, of striving uh, and a life of uh, sacrifice. And uh, this is something very noble in the family of the Prophet ﷺ we see, is that even though uh, the Muslims till this day would treat the family of the Prophet ﷺ and every member of the family of the Prophet ﷺ as royalty and honor them and respect them and show them so much reverence, but it's in the blood and flesh of the family of the Prophet ﷺ to be people of sacrifice, to, pe to be people at the forefront of defending this religion and sacrificing for this religion and uh, following the footsteps of their forefathers of giving up everything for the sake of this religion. Now just imagine, uh, later on inshallah we'll be speaking about the, the children of Sayyidah Fatima radiallahu anha who wouldn't treat Sayyidina Hassan and Hussein like royalty. They were the, the children who, who played on the back of the Prophet sallallahu on his rode on his shoulders, you know, he would kiss them, he would, and so on and so forth. And his, and his companions saw all of this love, but they did not uh, want royalty for themselves. They did not want others to, to treat them in a way that they live lives of comfort. Why? Because uh, we learn from the blessed family of the Prophet ﷺ that this religion wants from us to sacrifice. It wants from us to, to, to spend and, and uh, to defend and all of that means you have to take risks in life. You know a companion came to the Prophet ﷺ and sometimes uh, I think of this hadith and it's really scary. You might think what's scary about it. He came to the Prophet ﷺ and he said, uh, when's the day of judgment? And the Prophet said to him, What have you prepared for it? And he said, Nothing, Messenger of Allah, except that I love Allah and His Messenger. Right? Nothing, except that I love Allah and His Messenger, thinking that you know, that should be enough. That's, this is what most of us think now, isn't it? I love Allah and His Messenger, and you know, love's in my heart, and everything's fine. Right? So the Prophet ﷺ said to the man when he heard this, he said, if you love me, then prepare for poverty. If you love me, then prepare for poverty. What does that mean? That prepare to live the most simplest of lives. If people are living lives of luxury, then prepare to live a simple life. That if, if, if people are accumulating wealth for themselves, then be ready to, to, to give that wealth for this religion. Uh, if people are stationary and are uh, in, in their comfort zone, then be ready to migrate and leave out from your home and, and give up. You know, uh, the people of Mecca, the Muhajirun, why were they given a higher rank than the Ansar? Why? Because they gave up everything. They left everything behind and they came to the Prophet ﷺ. And you know, if you think about it, uh, just imagine you're, you're living comfortably, you got, you, you, you've got your home, your business, your work, your friends, your colleagues, the schools that you went to, you know, the streets that you played on, the parks that you played in, right, and so on and so forth. And suddenly you're told, that's it, you have to leave. You're made to leave. You're thrown out, right? And then it's not... You're not, you're not going to Edinburgh where you know, don't worry about it, it's another built-up city and you, know, you can find a home, you'll get a job and stuff. You're going into the bewilderment of a desert. You don't know where you're going. And you know, if you think about it, what was the city of Medina known as before the Prophet ﷺ went there? Yathrib. 
the place of illness. Do you get it? The Prophet ﷺ and his companions had to leave out from Makkah, which is the sanctuary, which is the haram, right? And now go to a place is, which was known as the place of illness. They didn't know what they were heading towards. They didn't know where they were going. They didn't know how they would be received. But they did all of that for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's why they reached those high lofty ranks uh, uh, through the sacrifice that they made. So Sayyidah Fatima radiallahu anha, her entire life was a life of hardship uh, and difficulty and sacrifice for this religion and standing up and defending this religion at every point that she was able to. Wa sallallahu ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. For more information and to listen to more podcasts, visit us at arc.score or check out the Arc Media app.